and welcome to the Canadian Podcow. Thanks so much for listening. My name's Andrew Campbell, and I'm here with my friend and fellow dairy farmer, Sarah Sash. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Andrew. How's things in Ontario? Well, it's almost frozen. It's kind of that awkward Ontario season where it's just like, it's kind of wet, but kind of frozen, but mostly mud. That's basically where we are. I'm so grateful to be learning a few more things about your side of the country. I admittedly have only attended cities in Ontario, so one day uh, I'll branch out to dairy farms for sure. <laughs> well, come to our place, and can I ever show you what clay looks like well, in the winter, which is to that. just basically slime. That's what it is. So... <laughs> So today we've got a a super interesting episode happening. Um, We'll be talking about the review of the Code of Practice for the Care and Handling of Dairy Cattle. Andrew, have you read this thing? Are you ready? I I have actually. It it actually is the, like this, this episode sets a record for me as the biggest file folder for a single episode of any show I've ever done. Because the code is a bit sizable. And certainly, I, I, I mean, I think that I've got a lot of questions. I know you've got a lot of questions, too. And we have a fantastic guest with Nicole Sillett, who is Assistant Director for Sustainable Production with Dairy Farmers of Canada. So we'll get to that. But first, I thought maybe what we do, because our last episode was a bit of a big hook, because I, I remember clearly sitting here having this conversation with you on the West Coast um, right in the middle of flooding where it was really kind of the biggest impact. Now, my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, was, you know, we obviously all witnessed, you know, the flooding that that happened. Then water receded a bit. Then it came back again. Um, like, basically, it's 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 been going on almost since our last episode. So do you want to give us an update? Like how is cleanup underway? How's it going? How are farmers feeling? Yeah, it's still a a super mixed bag, I would say. Um, And it has been ongoing for over three weeks, like you say. So there are some people who were able to move back in and get their farms running. There's some who moved in and had to move out again. And then there's some I just saw last night, I was looking at my social media and one farm that was most affected by the circumstance. It was really like, I didn't even know how to feel in seeing them milking their cows in their home farm again last night. So it was just so fantastic to see. Um, but their buildings were underwater for, for three weeks. And then now that there's been all kinds of volunteers in there cleaning and assisting them to get going, I believe they're living in an RV somewhere and uh, have four small children. And it, it's just the... The scope of the circumstance is definitely uh, hard to take in. And like my family and I went and drove through the area. We went and visited some of the people that we know that have had the challenges and have gone and helped it at some of the farms. And until you actually see it, like we were fortunate to have the minister come and, and visit last Friday. And until you drive into there and look at the destruction and at the mess and stuff you're seeing on TV, you can't really um, understand it. I mean, I appreciate everyone's trying to do that. And even for me, living in the area, I'm trying to do that. And until you go there, it's devastating. So it's really amazing. The community has pulled together and, and people are working so hard, but people are getting tired. It's been a long, long go for them. And they're so happy to be home, but they must just be completely exhausted as well. So all of our communities are trying to stand by them. And well, and, and I get thinking like this is only really the beginning because I think of, you know, all the damage you talk about. I mean, feed what it would be like being underwater for so long, like, you know, the animals yeah. lost all of that. And and 
I mean, I know I th- I'm thousands of kilometers away, but I think I fit in the category like a lot of dairy farmers that you wonder, what can you do? I- is there anything that, you know, BC needs or is there anything that we as other dairy farmers can do to maybe help what, what I'm sure is going to be a very long process? Yeah, I think we just really appreciate all of the types of connection, like the the fact that dairy has had its own community through this whole thing, like people have felt lifted up by that. We have a fund at BC Dairy where we've raised over $650,000. So um, that really shows the love in the, in the dairy community for, for what's happened. And I mean, we all have to move forward together. So uh, the farms are rebuilding, they're doing their best. And just being part of something like this, I think has been so helpful and uh, like we nobody really knows what to do we can't quantify what the damage is at this point we're just trying to make it day by day for those families so i think just having people care about them uh, changes a lot of things and just before we do get to our episode the, the other question i'm just kind of curious from you i i mean you are vice chair of bc dairy i mean you have a front row seat to all the work that needs to be done and all what I, I'm sure is enormous challenges and logistics and all that kind of stuff. Uh, how are you doing? How has it been the last month? Well, it's it's an awkward thing because on the scale of what everyone else is experiencing, it doesn't feel like I have any right to feel anything right now in some ways. Like that's, a, I don't know, this is not, a, but uh, we've been, our teams have been amazing. People have been fully dedicated to this. And certainly like I've been doing some of the media spokesperson type work. I've felt so powerless to go and actually help on the ground. And I think a lot of people have felt that way. Um, but we've certainly been doing everything we can to, to pull the rope uh, in other ways and meeting with people and connecting and doing all those types of things. So hanging in there and working hard for our producers. Well, no, Sarah, that, I mean, as I said last episode, it still stands that, I, I mean, I know you have the entire country behind you thinking of you. And even if we don't see it in the mainstream every day like we uh, did earlier, um, just just know that we continue to think about you and, you know, all the work that you've got ahead for what I'm sure is going to be, you know, months going forward. Yeah, thank you so much for that. And I, we're just so proud to be part of a national industry and look forward to rebuilding and helping the farmers that do stay in the industry uh, find their way back forward. So thanks. Um, that being said, without further ado, um, I guess we'll move forward with today's episode uh, where we're talking about the code and practice for the care and handling of dairy cattle. And uh, our guest today is Nicole Sillett. So we'll look forward to talking to Nicole right after this. Thanks for listening to the Canadian Pot Cow. practice for the care and handling of dairy cattle was established in 2009. In January of 2019, the Dairy Farmers of Canada initiated a review using the National Farm Animal Care Council's code development process, and there is now actually a draft update on the code. It is available at nfacc.ca, Sarah. The period for public comments is now open. It allows for producers and other stakeholders to provide their input on the proposed updates to the 2009 code. All comments must be submitted through the online platform. The public comment period closes January 27, 2022. 
the Code Development Committee will consider the submitted comments after the close of the comment period, and the final Code of Practice will be released in 2022. Now to talk about this review process and to answer all of our questions, I'm sure every single one of them, our guest today is Nicole Sillett, who is the Assistant Director for Sustainable Production with the Dairy Farmers of Canada. Nicole, thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Now, maybe I put a little too much pressure on you to answer all of our questions because, uh, I mean, I think Sarah and I have almost too many to even bring up today. But what we really want to do is highlight, um, you know, what, what the biggest changes are coming to the code. But maybe we can actually back up a little bit and start with, first of all, what is the code of practice for care and handling of dairy cattle? And why is it being updated this year? Yeah, great, great question. So the code is basically our national understanding of best practices on farm um, and expectations for good animal welfare. Um, so most animal agriculture um, industries have one. Um, so beef, veal, pigs, chickens, um, even fish. They published a, a fish code this year. Um, so uh, with our code, um, we've used it as the basis for our proaction program. So that's kind of how how it uh, comes into play. Uh, but generally, codes have a lifespan of about 10 years. So our code was published in or actually updated in 2009. So it was at the end of its lifespan and we really needed to make sure it was updated. So can you tell us more about the review process itself, Nicole? It's been almost three years now. Can you share more about who's been involved and what that has looked like? Yeah, absolutely. So DFC started the process at the beginning of 2019. Um, so the National Farm Animal Care Council uh, leads the process. They um, they're kind of the secretariat, if you will, of the codes, but it's up to each industry to ask to have their code um, revised. So DFC sparked that at the beginning of 2019. Uh, and then we have to follow NVAC's process, which involved uh, creating a code committee, also creating a scientific committee, um, and those two committees work together um, to figure out what we need to update and what needs to be brought up to speed, if you will. I'll admit that this is the first time that I have read the code word for word from beginning to end. Um, and honestly, I, I mean, it's a big document. There's a lot of information um, that goes through that. I would certainly encourage anybody in, not just farmers, anybody in the entire industry to look through this proposal and see not only what is being proposed today, but obviously what's been in that code for a period of time. So maybe what we can do, Nicole, is talk about the biggest changes that are being proposed here. The first section um, in this is training and stockmanship skills, a new section for the code. And while I don't see any big red flags um, in the requirements, I think it's important for farmers to recognize that the training of staff for handling their animals is clearly a big priority for this committee, isn't it? 
Absolutely. And and that's the main reason why you see this as a new chapter. Uh, those concepts were in the 2009 code, but really the code committee felt that it was very important to bring those forward, uh, bring them together and, and make sure that there's a solid understanding of what those expectations are. Oh, that's so important. I definitely agree with you. Um, the next section is a big one, Nicole, and that's where we're talking about facilities and housing. And I think it's so big that we should break this up. But starting with one of the biggest headlines of this entire code is what does this proposed code say about housing and tie stalls going forward? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think housing is the biggest uh, theme, uh, the biggest story for this code. Um, and if we're talking about um, uh, tie stalls or um, lactating cow housing, that's one of the big areas. Uh, and it's focused on um, the outcome or, or the um, uh, opportunity for movement for those animals. So you'll hear other terms like exercise uh, or freedom of movement, but it's really about opportunity for those animals animals to, to move. Um, so the direction this code is going in is um, uh, it's very careful to not uh, call out tie stall barns per se um, because you can uh, have really good animal welfare outcomes in a tie stall barn as well as a freestall barn comes down to your management. Um, but what it is looking at requiring is uh, at some point in that lactation, whether it be the lactating herd or the dry herd, um, they have that opportunity to move. Um, so if a farmer has a tie stall barn that has animals tied up through the entire lactation and dry uh, period, um, those facilities are going to need to make some changes to give those animals that um, opportunity for movement at some point. Now, the other thing that I saw out of that was that, and I know that new tie stall barns aren't necessarily that common, but this code does state in there that no new tie stall barns are to be built in Canada. Um, I would uh, put a little caveat on that. Uh, I love caveats. It actually <laughs> permits you to build a new tie stall barn. Um, but what if you're going to do that, the requirement is your new build has to allow for daily freedom of movement for those animals. So if you're building a, a tie stall barn, just be aware that you, you're going to have to let them out. Um, and in that case, it is a daily requirement. For the yeah, you really ones. notice yeah. when you're reading it, hey, there's it doesn't really say tie stall anything. It's always the, the movement description for sure. Now, one of the other things in this housing, one that I noticed out of this was in dealing with how calves are housed. And certainly, you know, I read this as having a big impact, particularly on farms that are singling the housing of calves for the duration of them on milk. And, and, and that's change, changing going forward. Can you talk a little bit about what's being proposed, Nicole? Yeah, so the, the draft requirement um, is to uh, move to pair or group housing of calves. Uh, and you'd have to do that by two to four weeks of age. Um, so the uh, up until that point, um, uh, you could individually house, but if your calves are healthy and compatible and doing well, um, the code is requiring by 2033 uh, that you move to those those pairs or, or groups. Um, 
Research has basically shown that small groups or pairs um, have um, good disease outcomes, if you will. So there's uh, no difference between the individual and the the pairs or the groups. Uh, And there is uh, definite advantages to doing it young. Now, sticking on the calf subject, we're going to switch sections into the feed and water section of this. Um, But one of the changes that I see in here talks about the process of then weaning those calves and what is going to be required going forward. What's that change look like? Yeah, the um, the previous code uh, was silent uh, or didn't have any requirements uh, for weaning, uh, whereas this draft code does. Uh, and what it's uh, what it's looking for is that you don't start weaning your calves until they're at least six weeks of age. You don't stop it until they're at least eight weeks. And then in between when you're actually doing the weaning, uh, it needs to be done gradually over at least five days. So there's some flexibility in there. Um, and just uh, so it's kind of up to you how you manage that that portion of it but there's some parameters around um, around what that needs to look like so certainly some big changes and some small changes here but most farms in Canada will have some impact from this um, we'll take a short break to hear from our sponsor but there's a lot more to cover with Nicole um, definitely there's plenty of content in the code so please stick around Nicole Sillett is with us to go over some other changes and we can discuss what as an industry we should be doing considering and uh, how we can engage in this process as the public consultation moves on. So with that, we'll be back in just about half a minute. If you ask Canadian dairy farmers what it takes to become global leaders in sustainable farming, they might say, Conserving wetlands with Ducks Unlimited Canada. Working with clean farms to find innovative ways to reduce plastics. Supporting biodiversity with Tree Canada. If you ask dairy cows, well, they always say the same thing. Dairy Farmers of Canada, doing more today because we're here for tomorrow. Find out more at herefortomorrow.ca. And we're back with Nicole Sillett, the Assistant Director for Sustainable Production with the Dairy Farmers of Canada. Now, husbandry practices is the title of the fourth section of the code, and it's pretty wide-ranging from the simple handling and moving of cows. Well, simple maybe is the wrong word if you've ever moved cows before, but (laughs) moving cows is part of that. Um, Obviously, dealing with sick and down cows, even dehorning, castrating, milking, it's all covered in this husbandry practice section. Nicole, what stands out as uh, some of the big impacts that farmers should be aware of here in this section? Yeah, I think I would uh, I would highlight uh, increased involvement with uh, your herd veterinarian. So you've already uh, been required to have a relationship with a vet. That's easy. Um, but there is definitely more detail in this draft code on things like developing protocols with your vet, um, reviewing records, uh, working on corrective actions if, if there's some pieces that you need to do. Um, so there's uh, that kind of uh, piece in, in there as well. Well, um, you will see more details on pain control. Um, the uh, previous code did have a theme in, in pain control. So we had requirements for castration and dehorning and disbudding. Uh, and this one expands it out. Um, so there's a general requirement for pain control as well as other uh, management practices as well. 
Well, this really makes sense for me. I mean, as dairy farmers, we love our cows. And the most important thing for us is to make sure our animals are healthy and happy and comfortable. So it, yeah, it makes a lot of sense on the farms. Um, good animal welfare requires good animal health, prevention of disease, and the best care in case of illness um, is certainly attempted to be provided. Give us an overview of what's new when it comes to cattle health specifically. Yeah, and again, there's a little bit of overlap here kind of with vet involvement as well, um, but there's more details on uh, expectations for how you care for your sick animals, uh, so routine monitoring of them, uh, and basically uh, you can you can see, you can almost see the SOP coming out of this, so think SOPs in proaction, uh, so just that level of, of detail that um, that's being asked for. Now, I definitely want to come back to SOPs and proaction because I think that can be a conversation in how these fit. But if we can just kind of stick, we've just got a couple more sections here. The next one being transportation, which I think it's important for farmers to understand that like the Canadian Food Inspection Agency regulates the transportation part of this. And I think the code kind of leaves it with the CFIA. But where this code talks more is the preparation, loading, unloading, all the stuff that happens on the farm. Um, can you talk about what the requirements are being proposed here, Nicole? What 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 changes can we expect? Yeah, and it's it's really important with transportation that um, the the code committee was careful to align with the regulations because the, the regs do um, do also cover some aspects on farm, uh, but the code scope does end at the farm gate. So when those animals get on the truck and leave your property, they're no longer in in the code scope. So it's dealing with uh, mostly uh, items like um, fitness for transportation. So making sure those animals animals are healthy and uh, ready for whatever journey it is they're about to go on. Uh, for calves, uh, specifically making sure that they're healthy, they have a normal body temperature, their navels are healed, uh, so really making sure that they're okay to go as well. Um, but the other uh, pieces to highlight are um, making sure that lactating cattle um, are also um, going to end up at their final destination before they become engorged, essentially. That's the outcome we're trying to um, avoid. Um, and the final one is uh, is handling. So there are some requirements around um, how to make sure that your handling processes are appropriate, um, uh, not using electric prods, for example, as well as design of your facilities or, or angle of your ramps um, to make sure that um, everything is um, structured in a way that encourages cattle to move. And you mentioned electric prods. If we can just um, jump into that section, I don't, I don't think it's specific to the transportation section, but it does come up a few times that talk about the idea that there, there really isn't much of a place on a dairy farm for those according to the requirements being proposed. Correct. That is one uh, one change um, in this revised code is that uh, 
electric prods are no longer permitted for um, regular handling of cattle. Uh, the only um, place where you could use them would be in diagnosis of a down cow. So it's sort of your your last resort to see if she can get up. Uh, and essentially, it's making that decision between can you save her or are you, you going to have to euthanize her? That's where the electric prod is appropriate in the code. So Euthanasia is the final section, um, but that seems pretty straightforward and it's kind of our least favorite topic. Um, so maybe I can shift the conversation to something that's come up a few times, and that's the difference between requirements of the code and recommendations of the code. Um, we've talked a lot about those requirements, but maybe you can break down the difference between them. And uh, should we as farmers be concerned with some of the recommendations that go even further than the requirements? Great question. Um, so the, the recommended practices are intended to provide more guidance on how you might be able to achieve a requirement, or in some cases, there are additional good ideas or best management practices um, for you to consider. So the requirements are really um, what matter, if, if you will, like if we're talking about uh, having to, uh, what, what you have to implement, it would be the requirements. And then the recommendations um, are really um, just additional pieces that are great, great advice or, or, or great pieces to think about. Now, when we do talk about the requirements, um, you know, the one mechanism I'm curious about is is the enforcement of this. How how is it being proposed? I mean, I mean, in my mind, it comes through proaction, but but what's the process that that really is coming after this is enacted to actually say that this is being done on farms in Canada? So our mechanism in the dairy industry is uh, the ProAction program. So um, the code itself, uh, our, our next challenge will be to take all of those requirements and then um, incorporate them into the ProAction program. Uh, it sounds fairly straightforward, but um, part of the challenge um, and the exercise we'll go through is to make sure we streamline, uh, put pieces together. There's some overlap with biosecurity, for example. There's some overlap with traceability. So we'll, we'll take everything and kind of package it together and also make sure that uh, the requirements are something we can verify. Um, so um, one, one of the areas is a, a suite of requirements on calving management. Um, how are we going to verify that you're doing that? Likely something like that would be an, uh, an SOP, for example. Um, so that's, that's part of the, um, the, the next steps. So now there's obviously a lot more we could talk about. As I said, it, it is a good read, I think, and an important read for every person in the industry to go through, despite the fact it's 80 or 90 some pages. But I mean, obviously, this has a tremendous impact on our industry going forward. So I certainly would encourage everybody to go through it. And because it is just proposed at this point. And so we mentioned off the top that the public comment period is open until January the 27th. Nicole, can you talk about who can participate in that public comment period and how can people give their feedback? 
Absolutely. So it is literally open to the public. So anybody and everybody can submit comments, um, including people from outside Canada, believe it or not. Um, so it's really important for farmers to participate, um, really important for their voices to be heard, uh, because the code committee at the end um, does take all of those comments into consideration and then revise the code as needed. So this is really um, your opportunity. Uh, once January 27th is over, that's it. It's back to the code committee. So it's uh, really a golden opportunity for farmers and our stakeholders like vets, um, nutritionists, et cetera, to participate and uh, and have their have their say. So what kind of feedback is being sought here, Nicole? And I mean, how can people best express their opinions and about what's being proposed? Are you looking um, just for constructive criticism or are we looking for positive commentary? Um, what kind of feedback might we consider sending in as farmers? I love it. Um, anything and everything, really. So um, I think um, as farmers, um, if you have something positive to say, please say that. If you think that this code is uh, really hitting the mark on a particular topic or area that you think um, is, is excellent, please please include that. Um, everybody likes to hear some positive feedback. Um, at the same time, if uh, there are challenges within this code, um, it's very important that you um, submit those, but be constructive, uh, be detailed, include the rationale why, um, make sure it's clear um, if it's just part of a requirement, it's just that part. Uh, any detail you can provide um, will be very valuable to the code committee because it will direct them on how they can address your concern. Well, and certainly I'd agree about the importance of it because I am assuming our We'll say our friends in the activist community are probably working hard at their public consultation feedback. So I think we as farmers need to make sure that our voices are heard too. So it's a lot to digest, but Nicole, you've been so great to walk us through all of this. And certainly I'm already working on my submission for the next couple of days and hope that everybody else in the sector um, does it too. Remember the link is nfacc.ca. Um, you can check the dairy cattle section of that to find where to submit your consultation. And I bet we can even get our fantastic producer, Bruce, to put a link in the show notes of the podcast so you can find it there. So, Nicole, thanks very much for doing this today. Thank you very much for having me. Well, looks like that's it for this episode of the Canadian Podcast. I certainly learned a lot about some of the possible changes ahead and honestly, so much content. <laughs> like you mentioned, Andrew, I hope everybody takes a little bit of time to uh, to look at this and, and to get up to speed on, on what the changes might look like. Uh, what, what are your takeaways here? What stuck with you after the conversation? Well, certainly I, one of the first things was that I, I wished I had read previous codes. Like I knew they existed and I knew components of it, but I, I didn't think I realized until now just really how far reaching the code is in terms of talking about, you know, and in most cases, it's, you know, best practices 
um, you know, kind of that cover almost everything that gets done when handling with the animal. So first, so, so that's kind of the first thing that I'm glad I had this opportunity um, to read through it and take some time. And then, you know, certainly within it, I think one of the, you know, one of the things that I picked up from it is that, you know, for the most part, I don't think it does, um, you know, isn't anything that farmers necessarily have to be real worried about because I think there is a lot of science and best practice about handling um, for animals. But again, that's on my farm. So I think it's important that every farmer takes the time to read through this and, and has the impact. Like, do, do you see any major impact on your farm, Sarah, with some of the proposed requirements? No, there's certainly a few things that you'd have to pay some extra attention to and possibly make some adjustments for, but um, yeah, it's it's not totally impossible, I wouldn't say at all, and especially here in the West Coast, it's uh, a bit different that way. But I think I first read the last code when I, I participated in the ProAction pilot, and that you'll notice that those things that are requirements end up coming up uh, in the ProAction program, and certainly those things will, will pop up as we move forward. So that's probably the first bit that acquainted me with the old code. And then things that were uh, recommended but not required in the past code, I think you're starting to see more of those pop up in the requirements here. So it's not entirely unexpected, but there is some change that will be required. Well, and that's certainly one that when I was writing all my notes, there's a couple of things with requirements that I think stand out. And certainly I think here in Eastern Canada, just with a number of tie stall barns that exist, I mean, obviously there is a clear direction from the committee um, that that changes in housing are, are coming in terms of that movement. So, so it's something to be aware of. But Definitely the recommendations are one where I think a lot of my feedback is going to come through um, for that very reason, because, you know, I, I would expect that some of those recommendations, whether it's in the next revision or, you know, 20 years from now when it's my kid's problem, I still want to at least have, um, you know, be able to have that feedback. So I don't know. I, I, it was it was really great, though, to have Nicole on and, and walk us through this, I thought. Yeah, such a knowledgeable guest. And it's so important that you send us your feedback. Um, send your feedback to NFAC, prioritize that one. And then if you have feedback for us and you'd like to contact us on Facebook or Twitter, um, please do that. Andrew and I are taking this time to try to help get you a bit more interested in the code, have a look at it. And uh, certainly we'd love to know how we could do uh, better or what you'd like to hear about on our podcast. So hop on in there and give us some feedback. That would be greatly appreciated especially the five star kind of feedback when you're actually like in <laughs> Apple podcasts. I'm sure you want to prioritize that again after this submission, but a big thank you to Nicole. Um, and certainly I hope that if this is your first time listening to the Canadian PodCow, why not go back to the podcast feed and have a listen to the guests from our other two episodes? Um, because, you know, why wouldn't you want that kind of holiday listening entertainment? Um, you know, whether it's with Pierre and Carl, who we had on our last episode or our conversation on the first one. So, or with um, ourselves. Or with ourselves, which I think is just <laughs> as a dynamic episode, Sarah. Um, but certainly, you know, as everybody does do their Canadian pod cow listening through the holidays, certainly I, I want to wish you the best of the season, Sarah, and of course, everybody else who's listening. 
No, same to you. I hope your chores are smooth on Christmas morning and you have a great time uh, with your family. So Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Uh, same to you. Although I, uh, before we end right now, I had one Christmas where the entire barn froze solid because <laughs> some silly farmer pointing at me left a door open. So ever uh... since then, I crossed my fingers and hope that we can have a like problem-free Christmas morning chore. So I hope the same for you, Sarah. <laughs> we mostly just get real wet. We don't have a lot of problems with things freezing on Christmas morning. <laughs> We're wishing you the best. Thanks, same to you, Sarah, same to everybody else. <laughs>